We're back for hour three. It is 7.05 and still a very Harley looking evening out there. We're down to 79 degrees in Aurora, still 81 degrees in hell, otherwise known as Denver, and um, very excited about the next hour. And if you're on the line, we're taking kind of a topic turn, so you might have a question or a comment for my in-studio guest, Tom Tancredo. We'll have... Uh, We'll have Blake pick up and talk to you and see if maybe you want to talk to us about something that's coming up here. But uh, so always so grateful. And so um, I always look forward to it with great anticipation. Anytime we can get together with microphones, with uh, a cocktail, with a cigar. Um, I guess the days of getting together with motorcycles are over for you and for me. Probably are, yeah. Yeah. But uh, – uh, it's just always so much fun, and of course you're a, a favorite with any of the audience that follows me fairly closely because, you know, we've just been through so much. We think a lot alike. Um, you've done so many things that people admire you for. We were talking before the top of the hour on the air about the presidential debates, and that you were actually on a presidential <laughs> debate stage. Yeah. And the sole reason for doing that was because you wanted to try and get a conversation about immigration into the public domain. And Karl Rove and George Bush and the Republicans in charge at that time weren't the least bit interested. And now look at where we're at. Yeah. All I wanted them to do, I mean, I kept saying, if I could just get these guys, I was referred to them, the other, the other uh, candidates that I was running against. Um, I always refer to them as the tall guys with good hair, because if I could just get the well, wait a minute, what's wrong with good hair? No, no, they they, no, they no, had no, no. it. I didn't. That's what I'm saying. You know, I it was know. the other I group know. that I was trying to get in, in, to actually speak about and say utter the words border security. I mean, or illegal immigrants. Oh my God, that would have been the. Piesta, but I mean, even if we could get start a conversation with an agreement that there was, in fact, not border security, but no way, man, they did not want to talk about it. They avoided it every way. I'll never forget the very first question I ever got: national stage, uh, Reagan Library. Uh, I'm scared to death. My, as I always say, there was a good thing that there was a, a, a podium in, in front of me with a rather large base because people couldn't see my leg shaking, <laughs> you know, because I was really scared to death. I kept thinking, what's this little Dago from North Denver doing here on in the debate stage and the president? I mean, I could, it, but there I was. And, and the thing is, I had gained enough notoriety on the issue to have a following. And you had to have a certain percentage of support before you could get into the debates, right? So we met, we actually met that threshold yeah. with some advantage. And so there I was, but still scared to death. And, uh, and so we practiced for weeks, Randy, weeks with my staff, trying to make sure that I answered every single question they could possibly come up with, with an illegal immigration response. <laughs> and so, and it's not that bad. It's not that hard if you think about it. If the question deals with education, I, no problem, man. I can tell you what the, what the problems are with illegal immigration on our education system, with health care, with costs, national costs, taxes, taxes. So uh, I, it was fine. And, and I went through every one. We, like I say, weeks, right? Sure. So but, we get there. And, and, and the point, though, is when you know where you stand on issues, yeah. it's not so hard, is it? Because no, you don't not. have to think, well, what do people want to hear? <laughs> right. Because you already know where what you I'm going to say, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I didn't want. To, I just, I wanted to be able to make sure we, I could could do that, and and I'd be comfortable with 
the the uh, transition that I might have to make between sure. whatever they're asking me and in illegal immigration, right? And so, so we practice and practice. So I'm up there and we're waiting. And and uh, Chris Matthews was the was the moderator, right? And uh, as you can imagine, what that turned out to be. And so I'm on one side. I think I think Ron Paul was on the other the other end. We were the potted plants, the bookends, yeah, yeah, uh, on the stage. And all the questions were coming, and they were they would go to the guys in the middle, and I say, you know, tall guys, good air, and. So I went, and every question I'd go, oh, I got, I know how I would tell my pot. Man, I could have knocked that one yeah. out of the And no, I didn't, guy. It wouldn't come to me. So, so I, I'm waiting and waiting, and, and, um, and every question I'm thinking, oh, illegal immigration, don't forget. So finally, Matthew says, so Congressman Tancredo, uh, he says, um, just want to ask you, uh, I think he said it was a question from the audience. I'm not sure. But he, he said, uh, if you were elected president, and I'm thinking illegal immigration, illegal immigration, what would you do to increase the number of organ donors? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, oh. Organ donors. And I didn't go there. I want you to know. <laughs> yeah, what a tie to the yeah. illegal immigration. Uh, illegal immigration, organ donors. Organ donors. Okay, oh let me God. see how I can. No, uh, my, but my first, I think the first word out of my mouth to the American public, of the guy running for, for their president, was something like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. So I said, oh, I'd make a market or something. I don't know. It was just, it was so embarrassing. It was terrible. And, yeah. And, uh, and things pretty much went downhill from there. I didn't get a lot more until the end when I got to really get in a little tête-à-tête with uh, with the, my arch rival on that panel, which was uh, the guy that ended up winning the nomination, unfortunately, uh, and that was John McCain. Oh my gosh, did we get into it? Yeah. But anyway, that's a different story. Well, I can tell you how I the first answer that popped into my head for Chris Matthews from formerly MSLSD right. would have been uh, I would have. If he if he asked me what I would do to encourage people to increase organ donation or whatever, I'd say that moderator debate moderators who ask stupid questions <laughs> should do an inventory <laughs> on how many organs they have that are duplicated or that they don't necessarily so they need. need. Because <laughs> and then I would have talked uh, about illegal immigration. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see if you. I mean, honestly, I wish I were that smart and could have done it, but I was just scared well, to death. On a stage like that, who knows how you'd actually respond? Well. Let's let's at least lay the groundwork for um, what led to have you coming in this at this evening, our dinner, and we got to talking about things we're very proud of, which include our grandkids, right? And um, and you've got one that is just—it's remarkable. The first person I'm assuming in your family to actually attend and graduate from Hillsdale College. Yep. So I imagine you you were instrumental in in suggesting that and oh, getting him interested in it. Well, and, I tried my best. I'll yeah, put it that way. And getting out there. Uh, and you know Larry Arn, correct? I do very well. I've spoken at Hillsdale a couple of times. Yeah. And I've, I've only met Larry. He's been in Colorado once. It was a fundraiser, I think, mm-hmm. or something. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know him. Certainly listened to his interviews with Hugh Hewitt on Fridays. They're always fascinating. Yeah, he's a very smart guy. Yeah, he's wonderful. And um, so I guess I'll just turn it over to you. Maybe before we talk about how this came up with your grandson. Talk about why you think it's so very, very important. The issue? And, and I guess for people who are just joining us, there's a historical figure 
that every American should be well-versed in, especially in light of the current political times. And they're not teaching this person at Hillsdale. No, they're not teaching so, it anywhere for that matter. Okay. But, and that's the that's the real problem. And um, But Hillsdale, you would think, you, you would hope anyway, that would it, you know, separate itself from the pack in that regard. And and includes something about this fellow that we're going to talk about here because, because as you know, the culture today in in the United States is one that is so incredibly uh, driven by victimized uh, uh, by the, the victim mentality. Everybody is a victim in some category or other, and it's all because essentially of white male Christians. Um, who are also, of course, uh, white supremacists, which is the, everybody that's white, according to a lot of the curriculum. White privilege. White privilege, all that sort of thing. And it's driving us so far apart. It, it is so destructive. And it, it is typical of the left to claim the mantle of diversity and the need for diversity while simultaneously restricting any discussion of things that will actually bring clarity to this picture we're talking about of what is America, what is our culture, what is Western civilization all about. I mean, that's really what it goes back to. And it is, it's such an important part of it that has really become a very, I don't know, I've gotten really into the idea that it should be discussed broader uh, in a broader uh, format than it is because it's nowhere, uh, essentially. And so... Um, I uh, really would love to see, uh, and I, by the way, I asked not not just the question of my grandson. I've asked it in, in when I speak at on high at high schools all over. I almost always ask about this. Do you know this person? Have you ever heard of this person? Ninety nine percent of the time, the answer is no. And it doesn't matter the brightest kids, the you know the best schools. It's not an issue of whether you're intelligent enough, it's an issue of whether you've ever been taught this stuff. Sure. You know, when I was, well, so, so when, when you're not taught, when you're not given the facts of American or Western civilization, you can easily be misled by the left, especially, as to what is the true purpose of our of our culture, of our democracy and our republic in particular, and what, is its, what are its underpinnings? What are the things that really shaped it, you know? So uh, I, I was so disappointed in every time, as I say, when I go to college or high school, and college, it's ridiculous, uh, but high school and college campuses, and I ask about it, and there's never a, a positive response. Um, so let us let's, let me just step in for one second, yeah. because I can't imagine that there's a politically correct reason that this person wouldn't be part of the curriculum at Hillsdale College. I, we can, you know, so many colleges, obviously, they don't want to teach anything positive about the fact that America is the first country to have a civil war to actually stop slavery. Right. And, you know, all of the things that... Um, 650,000 dead. Yeah. That we could use to combat this this horribly, this horrible racist narrative that accelerated once Barack Obama became president. Right. That, that was supposed to be the, you know, people like me, naive back in the day... When Barack Obama was elected, thought, well, I don't agree with his policies, but at least we finally crossed that barrier 
and we've elected our first black president so people can stop talking yeah, about Yeah, so we can get yeah. over that that stupid argument that we had for all that time. And certainly there was racism in, oh, of course. in there, of course. It's and still is. It's still I mean, there, I'm sure, in many places. Is it a major factor in who we are and what we are and how, how things develop in terms of public policy? No, no, it's not. It is now relegated to a very, very low status in terms of what's important in most American lives. I, do you know, Randy, really, do you know anyone that you would call, number one, a white supremacist, number one? Number two, do you know anyone who's really down deep a racist? No. Personally, I no. No, I don't either. No, and no, nor do I experience it in my day-to-day -day life either when I interact I. with black people. It's People are warm. They're friendly. We'll hold yeah. the door for each other. A, a, a woman at, a, at the, a supermarket will have a, a brief exchange, a beautiful day. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a nice day. God bless you. Absolutely. It's just normal interactions. It, it's got no tone and it's of great color. That we have gr of that it's great that we're here in that situation. It's great. I'm, you know, I used to think to myself... And the, although the commercials on TV are really changed into a totally black experience, yeah. you know what I mean? All the all the actors and everything. But the more I look at it, the more I'm okay with it. And I'll tell you why. Because in most cases, it's a black male, maybe a white or a, even a black female uh, family, mm -hmm. right? Uh, man and wife uh, raising children. I mean, that's a good thing. We Randy. need that given need what's it. happening in the black community. That's with exactly fathers. right. Yeah. So I'm I'm okay with it. At first, I thought, well, gosh, it seems like an overabundance, and why, you know, why do we have to always move the uh, the pendulum so far? But now I'm thinking, no, this is a good message that's coming across. I hope it I hope it sticks. I do, and of course, now we're starting to see token gay people in the commercials oh, yeah, and in right. the shows. There's always oh, got to yeah. be a gay kiss, it, or a, oh, yeah, exactly, or it, every, every movie, every, so, yeah. everything, especially online. I mean, the, all the stuff that uh, like Netflix that, and Netflix, yeah. right? Yeah, all of that junk. Okay, so back to the topic at hand. We've got people that want to talk to you as well. We'll do that. Start those calls in the next segment, but. You know, every college has a core curriculum. So yeah. I assume your grandson at Hillsdale, in whatever his major was, yeah. he also had to take a core curriculum. Right. And I'm guessing that this person that we're going to identify before we go to the break and then talk about on the other side of the break is someone that you believe should be taught as part of the core curriculum surrounding Western civilization, civilization. And, and its most important figures. Absolutely true. And and it's it's just not – um, and as I say, my I, I certainly don't blame my grandson for not knowing this person. No, uh, as I say, no, no. I've never, I, I hell seldom have ever talked to anyone at college or high school that says, "Oh yeah, sure, I know about it." No, <laughs> nobody does. So it's it's just that at Hillsdale, I thought, gosh, yeah, maybe, just maybe, you know. So yeah, I want to talk to Larry Arn about the. Plus, it, they have a program at Hillsdale, which I think is really one of the best things they do, called the Barney Initiative. And what it does is, is help people establish charter schools yes. all over the country. I think there's now 25 or 30. Some here in Colorado. Four here in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, one is right by our house, the Golden Golden View Academy. Oh, my gosh. It's wonderful. I, I go over there. I've been over there and been through it. And it'll give you, it'll give you a, a great feeling of po the possibilities, you know, that exist because you have kids that are coming through that system. Even there, I must tell you, I'm not sure that this person is known. But anyway, um, so uh, the Barney Initiative is wonderful. My wife and I have contributed more money to that, 
took it out of our IRA a few years ago and and contributed a, a pretty substantial sum to that one program at, at Hillsdale because yeah. I think it's so important. They help establish charter schools that have a basic good core curriculum. They help define the curriculum. They help the, uh, train the parents start the school. They help them throughout the process. They train the teachers. They do all this. And they're public schools, public schools, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I really think that that could be and, – and maybe I'm missing some of it, you know, because all I'm thinking about are the anecdotal things that have happened to me in the process of speaking in the many venues that I have at schools and maybe it's out there somewhere that I just haven't tapped into there. yet. You know it's not. Well, I, I maybe somebody will call and say, hey, you know, my kid knows exactly who this <laughs> is, and, well, and God bless him for well, it. Well, I'll tell you what. We do need to take a break, so why don't we keep everybody in suspense just a couple of minutes longer, <laughs> right. then we'll pull the wrapper off of this very significant historical figure that Tom and I are going to go on a mission to see is taught in – especially a Colorado Christian University, yeah, especially yeah. a Hillsdale College, and in these Barney schools. I mean, the Barney Initiative schools, very, very important. And we will do all that when we return, plus we'll pick up some of your phone calls, so you stay right there. It's 710 KNUS. Back at 726, so good to have you along. Tom Tancredo in studio, callers waiting to jump in, but we've got to pull the wrapper off of this extremely historical figure, from really just part of the foundational building blocks of Western civilization. And you made the point that this person is so incredibly important now in light of the way the left, you know, reparations. If you're white, then you have you you're born with privilege and you owe something to other people. Right. Um, white supremacy abounds. Racism. We're a racist nation. All of the nonsense and uh, they pile it on Christians and, and white people. That's that's really the target now. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Why don't you introduce this person and then sure. name him? Okay. Well, <clears throat> uh, I first became actually aware of him when I went to Congress in 1998. And a, a member, a, a colleague of mine, Joe Pitts from Pennsylvania, asked me if I wanted to, start, uh, to participate in a caucus that he was forming. And I said, what is it? He said... He says, it's the William Wilberforce Caucus. And I said, who's that? And that was 1998. So as I say, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not nasty. I'm not talking down to anybody who didn't know. I didn't know who he was in 1998. And so, uh, because I'd never heard of him. I'd never had a college class in which he was identified. And so I began to learn more about him because I did join the caucus. And I learned that here was a guy who worked so hard over almost 40 years, as a matter of fact, in the British Parliament, starting in 1780. That's when he was elected to, to Parliament. And he spent uh, the next 40 years really in, pushing a particular idea. <laughs> that, kind of re that kind of resonates with me to begin with, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. And, so, and, so, and, the, and the trials and tribulations that he went through, the vilification, the loss of, of his fortune, a, a large part of it, his health completely decimated by, um, by the— trauma that he was going through to get something done. And what was that something? It was the elimination of slavery. It was the abolishment of the slave trade to begin with, and then the emancipation of all slaves in the British Empire. 
And that started for him actually in 1790. He was in, he was elected in 1780. Young man, very affluent family. Um, and, uh, but in 1790, uh, he became acquainted with a guy by the name of John Newton. Now, John Newton is another really important figure who was a slaver, a slave trader, and, and, and became a, a committed Christian. Uh, there, there is a movie out that actually does reference William Wilberforce, and it's about, and it's called, uh, what am I, I'm losing it now, but, um, uh, uh, I'm sure the caller will will remind me here. What it's a is that famous Christian hymn is the name of the movie, <clears throat> and he becomes committed. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Thank you. He becomes uh, completely committed to the idea of because of his he first of all becomes a, a very ardent Christian. Now, in those days, you have to understand most people could call themselves Christian, but it was the Anglican Church, and it was a a light interpretation of of the Bible and anything else. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have any of that in America. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Christian light. That's what I call it even yeah. today. And uh, but it was it was really basically and especially for the upper class, they were not interested in evangelicalism or anything that smacked of it. And they and his father hated the idea that he really did become an, a very ardent evangelical Christian. 1790. 89, actually, 1789. Got me a little cheat here because I want to make sure they get the dates right. So, um, becomes. You don't don't have to tell people that on the radio. (laughs) You can just pretend you're pulling this all All out out of of your head, right? Tired Uh, head. Well, uh, probably enough people know me out there that are going, hey, (laughs) he's not that smart. (laughs) So, anyway, um, all I've got is dates. So, uh, you know, give me a break here. Uh, the, the, uh, so he, he, begins to introduce resolutions into the parliament to abolish slavery. And he is so articulate, indefatigable is the, is the way a lot of people described him. Even at the day, he was, he, he actually, and in fact, one of the British papers at the time said that his, his uh, discussion on these uh, issues that he brought forth, the, these, these resolutions that he brought forth, even at the time, were the most... He, they were, he said that they were the most eloquent debates that had been held in Parliament up to that time. So he was... Well, things like the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Yeah. For uh, the foundation of the Church Mission Society. Yeah. Society for the Suppression of Vice. vice. That's right. There, there was another one. He was trying to stop all the nastiness in, in England at the time. And the king actually helped him out on that. Uh, but... have to... Ask Dennis Prager about some of that. We'll That's maybe right. talk about that That's before right. this hour Name is up. Him. Okay. <laughs> so he, he introduced 12 resolutions in uh, 1790. And 91, um, he brought it up again. They were all defeated. All defeated. Okay. So 1791, he brings it up again. Again defeated. 163 to 88. Uh, but doesn't stop him, right? 92. Uh, he, he is now he because he's so eloquent and he's so persuasive in his uh, discussion of the issue that he begins to change the attitude of the British population. And they're signing petitions now. Thousands and thousands of people are signing petitions to Congress to Parliament to actually uh, abolish slavery. It's yeah. a terrible thing, right? E- even that's a, an important point to make. 
that the British population at the time, 1790s, were saying, yeah, this is not a good yeah. idea, right? Yeah. Let's, let's, Mostly white than, people. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Damn so, white people. So, <laughs> yeah, those, those racist bastards. Oh, my goodness. I shouldn't say that. But, um, so um, then, un- unfortunately, uh, there's sort of a, a hiatus on the whole debate because Napoleon declares war on Great Britain, and they go into a, a period of That'll war. do it. Yeah, that, a, a pretty, uh, you know, uh, uh, substantial problems developing as a result of that. Um, and so it was kind of put on the back burner for a while. But then in um, 1796, he did it again. And he, he this time, um, <laughs> he has a bill up. And because there had been so much support nationwide, it sort of gets traction, right? Gets legs, and it's moving ahead, right? And the opponents, recognizing this, do something pretty sneaky. Uh, I'm not even sure this has happened to me <laughs> in terms of the sneakiness that happened, but they, what they did is they gave a bunch of theater t- free theater tickets to his, to his supporters oh, in Congress, no. I mean in Parliament, yeah, to get them out during the debate on it, and it fails again. Wow. Right? Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, they were absent on the vote and it failed. Uh, so he kept trying to force the issue. This this did not stop him. He's, uh, he's as I say, indefatigable. Um, uh, and, and there's a um, – the emancipation issue becomes so ingrained in his thinking and he's so committed and he – that he gets a partial win by 1807. When um, there's a bill up, part of his bill, but it was kind of watered down to abolish the slave trade in the Brit- British West Indies. The first time anything like that had ever happened. The first bill to ever abolish slavery anywhere. And the British West Indies, they were, that was important because that was one of the huge, huge markets for the British slavers. Uh, bring, getting slaves to the British West Indies, all the plantations there. Gee, okay. didn't our Congress do something similar along the way to uh, ultimate ending of slavery, the first stop the slave trade? Oh, yeah. We had like 13 years, right, after the ratification. To, That's to, right. That's to, exactly right. Exactly. So yeah, history point. repeats itself. Yeah. Um, anyway, he kept doing it. He, you know, he didn't accept that as a, as a win. Yeah. Uh, but as a step toward what he needed to do. Yeah, like, like the three-fifths clause. Right. Or, you know, all of the Dred steps Scott that decision. it, yes, yeah. all the steps, but all the steps that it took, it took to, to get there. You, you would have never ratified a constitution without the three fifths clause. That's right. It wasn't racist. It wasn't saying that black people were just part of a human. Uh, and, and this history is not taught in America, much like Wilberforce's history. That's right. But, so, but, you know, we're getting near the break, and I do want to squeeze in at least one call. Uh, okay. Because we promised to. But, the the point here is this was a white Christian. Right. Doing it because he was, he kept talking about the fact that I am motivated by my Christian principles, by my belief in what the basic soul of man, you know what I mean, was so eloquent. Like Thomas Jefferson, who while he had slaves, he was, yeah. he, he grew, he was born into that economy, that particular life, uh, was able to write so eloquently about what needs to happen, what the future needs to look like. Right, right. 
And so, yeah, I've gotten a couple of text messages on my phone, but people are just shocked that Hillsdale doesn't teach Wilberforce. Right. I mean, and as part of their base, they may have him as a maybe they say somewhere, I don't but know, it ought but... to be part of the basic curriculum That's on right. Western civilization, That's which right. we know is a part of. All right, let's get to a call and see who we've got. Who do we got on line three? Joe, Joe in Arvada. Welcome to the show. Hi, Randy. Hi, Tom. Hello, Joe. I, I was uh, uh, pleased to be part of your campaign. Oh, God My bless mom, you. too. Barb Jacobs. Oh, I'm not supposed to say names. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't but, care. Uh, Why? You can say uh, names. Well, my mo- let's put it this way. Joe and Barb helped. <laughs> okay. yeah. And my mom is so proud of, of working for you. So thank well, you. I am proud. Uh, I am proud that she was there, honestly. And you, too, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with all this immigration mess that we have now, I think everyone needs to, to uh, educate, you know, Republicans and young people about why it, they, they, the Democrats want mob rule. They don't want a republic. They want a democracy where it's just a, a mob that rules things. And, and one of the things that is exemplary of that is what Randy's fighting for is that we have independence when it comes to naming our candidate. Mm-hmm. This idea that we would allow everyone, like allowing Democrats to vote in our, our own, uh, or, you know, to decide who are our candidates is exactly playing into their hands. They want a mob rule. And uh, I just want you to, you know, I want to want you to weigh in on that, why we should keep our own parties nominating our own candidates. What a crazy idea. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Appreciate the call. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, you talk about people who call themselves Republicans and what we do to ourselves. You know, you got Dick Wadhams, who was the chairman of the Republican Party for a long time. He's, you know, always on the news. Uh, he's the go-to guy for most of the uh, corrupt, coordinated, Democrat-controlled media machine. That's right. You know, to get a comment about anything. And his most recent comment that I heard about was when he called Dave Williams essentially a communist. Uh, Comrade Dave. Comrade Dave, because Dave supported. Well, wasn't even the author of the of the proposal, but supported it and. Uh, uh, supported the, what he's talking, what this gentleman's talking about, where they yeah. wanted to go back to um, the the original way in which we nominated people. Well, I'll just clarify that because um, I know you've been out of the loop for a while, but th- that particular issue came up on a on an amendment proposed by Chuck Bonniewell to say that for this particular vote to try and opt out of the open primary, yeah, where you require a seventy five percent threshold of the entire body, and we never get seventy five percent people even come to the meetings right. that if you don't show up it's or yes submit vote. your pro- your proxy it's a yes vote yeah. right yeah. and and what's so funny i i did a a riff on mario nikolai and his piece in the colorado sun on this as well because it's just name calling and stupidity but it's not accurate because it was a full vote we did it the amendments were pre- the amendment was presented to the committee it was debated pros and cons it was all out there fully transparent and the private organization known as the Republican Party had the right to make that decision if it chose to it chose not to but there was nothing comrade like yeah, right. communist like exactly. underhanded thing. Thing. yeah at all 
So this is just desperation. I mean, you know, Dick Wadhams and, and so many who make their money giving bad advice to losing candidates for decades now, uh, they don't want to lose the gravy train. And now they've picked it up on, I don't know, what is it, Channel 4, 7, 9, some, oh, yeah. somewhere, I guess. Sure. But the idea, they, they can't debate the issues on the merits or they won't. Instead, they'll get on their lofty Democrat platforms and just spew the vitriol. And and then scoff and mock and laugh and and oh by the way we've got to get away from Trump too don't forget that oh gosh yeah I mean you listen to even especially people like uh, Dick Wadhams when he talks about Trump it's so vitriolic it's almost I don't know how to explain it there's a weirdness about it there's a it's so evil and and he, he is so emotionally you know wrapped up in the idea that Trump is the devil incarnate. I don't know. There's well, something and, strange to me about and, that. And they support it by lying about the, the basis for some, for the indictments, the basis for the impeachments, about what actually happened on January 6th, and about his mean tweets, you know, and his personality. <laughs> and and I, if, if I didn't, you know, and of course I'm a big fan of Donald Trump now, and that letter he sent to me uh, after Tana died just meant so much. Oh, wow. It was just... Uh, a very kind thing for a man who's facing multiple indictments and yeah. has a lot better things to do. Um, but setting all that aside, if I despise the man, I could still recognize that he is the leader of the Republican Party. The Republican Party is shifting, thank God, away from the old way of doing business. And there's almost no numerical way you can think of that Donald Trump isn't going to be the presidential nominee. Right. So what value is there? If your goal is oh, to stop the Democrats in trashing him on and on and on. Go oh, ahead. Dear. Randy, it's so scary that he might be the nominee and even might be the president. <laughs> what, what, what do you want? Are you asking for 1% inflation? <laughs> are you asking for secure borders again? Are you asking for low gas prices or, or you know, an economy that is actually growing by leaps and bounds so that blacks and Hispanics have the lowest unemployment rate in history. history. I, is that what you want again? Are you crazy? This guy's nuts. He's, he's you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I just I don't it. know how you could possibly accept something like that again. I, it's There are dividing lines drawn. I think there are spir spiritual warfare that's at play here. That's uh, what that I is. think about this. When I told you about this other guy, he is not, something is really wrong talking about Wadhams yeah yeah something well, bizarre I, I had him in studio a while back um I th think I was doing not yeah I was doing nine news before Peter came back and uh and it was weird he would not allow me to take if he if I was going to have him in we couldn't take calls and um he we had a fairly civil debate it was okay but there was definitely a look in his eye a, a, an arrogance and an anger and I I just I don't get that among friends. Even if we disagree about policy and strategy, I, I don't get that level of intensity and and anger and nastiness. It's it's really what the left does. It's, it is. It's so. And I was at a party the other day, and this was mostly Republican. Well, you know, now your wife is listening. Party. Does she know you were at a party? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, she does. <laughs> In Italian, this is the IABA Italian American Business Association? <laughs> so. Party, I'm not sure <laughs> it's the right word, but a get together. And, you know, most of the people I met there, I mean, these are Italian, it's no, like an Italian Rotary Club, and they're mostly Republican. But this one guy, I mean, he, he said he was Republican, but uh, he was as 
vehement a, a hatred against Trump as as Dick Waters. You think, what the heck? What did they? Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and the, I always ask the question: if he becomes the nominee, will you vote for him? And that yeah. that determines for me whether people are are just committed to their hate or committed to stopping the evil that is now the Democrat Party. Right. And so, man, we're already up against the final break for the final segment. Uh We got to get there right now here on 710K in U.S. We're back for the final segment with in-studio guest and just one of my dearest friends, Tom Tancredo. We always have a good time together, whether there are microphones involved or not. And uh, I want to get to the callers as well. I had hoped we'd get a chance to talk about um, uh, Dennis Gallagher, or I mean Dennis uh, Prager, <laughs> Dennis Gallagher, <laughs> Dennis Prager, and the cigar night thing. Because all of a sudden there's this huge controversy because Dennis has come out and said, you know, pornography isn't necessarily a bad thing; it's the act, not the thought, that hmm. is a sin. And it's just blown up, and I haven't heard the interview yet, but I think it's going to make his cigar night here on August 30th yeah. just that much more interesting. Any chance you'll come? Yes. Oh, good. There's a there's a chance. First of all, you can tell me how much. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I don't know. I I, I get in free, so as I yeah, work here, like, so I'm not sure. But I it's carry, at the View can House. Can I carry your briefcase? It's at the View House in Centennial, hors d'oeuvres, <laughs> carving station, first beverage, premium cigars, August 30th. Seating is limited. Details at 710knus.com. But before we do any of that and even get to the calls, we've got to finish the story on yeah. Wilberforce, and we've got about seven minutes. So okay. let's see if we can bring that to a close and still get to a couple of calls. Sure. Okay, so I've, we've explained what he's gone through over this period of almost 40 years in constant uh, um, pressuring of his colleagues to do th- the right thing about slavery. And he's convinced the majority of the of the people in the in Britain at the time uh, and and the and the king you know that it's the right thing to do i mean that in and of itself is an amazing accomplishment when you think of it, he's one guy you know now he had help there were other members of congress or parliament that, that helped him undeniably true but but he was the main he was the figurehead he was the spokesman and so by 1825 the guy is really uh, has have suffered a lot, both financially and emotionally. He gets sick, yeah. uh, has a, almost a nervous breakdown, uh, and, and has to leave Congress. I'm sorry, Congress, Parliament. Parliament, and and but he nonetheless maintains his vocal role, his public speaking, uh, in, on behalf of total emancipation. Sign, finally, July 26, 1833. After 43 years of commitment to this issue, slavery was indeed abolished in the British Empire. He died three days later. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely astounding. And 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 I think it's important to say white guy every time. A white white Christian male. (laughs) You know, holy mackerel, how could this be? Is this all lie? Did they lie? He's actually now, he was buried in Westminster Abbey with, you know, all the... The big shots. <laughs> it, it, it's hard. It's hard not to factor. And I've 
thought about this a lot, you know, since losing my wife, uh, to factor God into so many things and the way people come into each other's lives and him oh, dying man. three days after he sees the culmination of that dream and, and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams oh, writing gosh. each other. Well, and then, at least Jefferson is still alive. Or was it the opposite? Was it, you know, yeah, right. Which at least, one's saying the other one is still Adam alive? Adam said at least Jefferson as he was dying. Yeah. And then Jefferson died. I yeah, mean, it's exactly just, the same dying. yeah. So it Fourth just, of July. Oh my in, gosh. incredible. I, uh, we, we won't have time to talk about this, and we're going to go to the phones, but um, I've received a lot of books on grief and different supports. And do you know Steve Bonham and son Caleb? They're, they were very politically active in Colorado. Um, regardless. Names are familiar. Steve's been through some unbelievable stuff, and he wrote a book called 150, 153 Empty to Overflow Living. But right on the front of it, I haven't even got into it yet, but here's something I've been thinking about ever since this book came in the mail at my home a few days ago. Are you calling on God to bless your plans, or is he calling on you to fulfill his? Oh, wow. Man, you, you got to make decisions in the light of that. You know, we, we talked about, is it constitutional? Is it the proper role of government? But are you fulfilling his his purpose for you or trying to fulfill your own plans? And that was the whole purpose of the, of the caucus, the William Wilberforce caucus. Yeah. That was started by my good, very Christian guy, friend, uh, uh, Pitts, Joe Pitts. It, that was the whole thing. What is it you're here for? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've you got your little things and all that stuff, but yeah. are you fulfilling God's purpose? Phenomenal. You know? Oh, man, it was. All right, Tom, let's let some folks talk to you with the few minutes that we've got left. We'll start with Russ and Golden. Russ, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, talking about freeing of slaves, the Spanish did it much earlier. It was done by a papal bull on uh, June 2nd of 1537 by Pope Paul III. Wasn't another white guy, was he? <laughs> Not only a white guy, he was an Italian. <laughs> sure. Well, he was kind of white. <laughs> yeah. But you understand the point that we're making in light of how the left is now trying to spin whiteness and maleness and Christianness, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, well, thank you for that, Russ. Anything else? No. Uh, it was not effective until 1551. And uh, in 1551, when, when the viceroy came on to the uh, scene, 80,000 slaves were freed. Wow. Unbelievable. That's great. Monumental. And that should, be, that should be part of the whole story, should it not, Russ? Yeah. Yes. He's our, he's our by, by the way, he's our weekly I know Russ historian, is, yeah. right? Yeah. I recognize Republican, his voice. Knows, Republican. He knows it all. Russ, thank you for waiting to weigh in, and God bless you, sir. Good night. Let's go to Rob and Connor for welcome. Hi, uh, Ashley's trying. But anyway, hey, look, Penn has, uh, Pence is going around saying he was asked to invalidate the, invalidate the election unilaterally. That's absolutely not true. The plan was to have somebody for the House of Representatives make, you know, for whatever states wanted to investigate their results, ask for some additional time to do so before the, the final count came in, and then, uh, then uh, I think Cruz was due to. to Ron, yeah. I, I think so, the I think the problem, yeah, Cruz was the Senate. The the yeah, you know the Democrats never. never the so. Democrats never had a senator when they tried to do it. We did, and so there had to be a riot to stop it. Yeah. But, but, you, but Ron, Ron, we're low on time, so I, I hate to interrupt you, but uh, I think the book that Mike Pence wrote may put uh, some truth to that lie that Pence is telling now. Um, Donald Trump put out a truth post about that, but Pence is a non-factor and, and an embarrassment at this point. Where's did you have anything for Tom Tancredo? Because he's here in studio no, with but, me. Well, he, maybe he knows the answer. Where does that authority come from? There, Because it's, it's happened three times, and that was the plan again 
this time, and nobody seems to remember that that was the plan, and Pence keeps lying about uh, what he was told to do. I don't, I, I don't know what he means. Where does the authority come from? I mean, well, there's a stat, it's not in the Constitution to go through that procedure. Oh, that was the Electoral College Act, right? Yeah. So, so there is a statute, a federal statute. Uh huh. Okay, fine. Well, that, yeah. But, but anyway, have you noticed that nobody ever mentions that? Yes, we've we've noticed, and we pounded here. Hey, thank you for waiting, and thanks for weighing in tonight. Have a good night. You know, Pence right. was a member of my caucus that I started with the the. Um, Immigration Reform Caucus, but he was one of those guys, I have to tell you, that joined the caucus to have his name on the caucus, but not to do anything for the actual... I remember early in my political awakening and becoming of an activist, being very enamored of Mike Pence. Oh, he's he was a great a good guy. speaker very, oh, very and smart kind. Guy. And very articulate. Then I saw him waver when he was governor and veto uh, important religious freedom education um, legislation. Uh, watched him fold like a cheap suit uh, when after you know when Donald Trump and all the heat was on. Uh, there's no reason they couldn't have secured the Capitol and reconvened the challenge of the Electoral College votes either. And now he's just lying through his teeth about it, as far as I'm concerned. Well, at, first, so. it, at first, his response was, yes, I can do that. It, it, yeah. I, I think he was on TV or radio or something. Yes. About, I, oh. Yes, I can do this. Oh, he had made a big – it was at a Georgia rally where oh, he was bragging, we're going to go to the Capitol and we're going we're gonna to stand up and we're going to recount. Yeah, he, yeah, he said all thing. of those things. Man, the theme music is in the background. Wow, that was that the was fastest quick. hour in a while. <laughs> So good to have you come down and be back in studio. It's a pleasure, and, buddy. Uh, uh, good to see you back on your feet after all yeah. that you've been through. So yeah, it's good to be seen. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everybody. I'll be back next week. And uh, I always these days like to say I love you to my dreamy girl in heaven. And for all the rest of us stuck between somewhere here between heaven and earth, there's something you have to remember. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f he wants.